It's time for the IHSA Safety Podcast. Welcome to the IHSA Safety Podcast. I'm your host, Ken Rayner. On this episode of the podcast, we're joined by Jasmine Kelsey, IHSA's occupational hygienist. Welcome to the IHSA podcast, Jasmine. Hey, Ken. Good to be back. Good to have you back. In Ontario during our winter months, Jasmine, we're routinely subjected to freezing temperatures that can be a significant risk to those working outside, unless you know an employer has controls well-established and implemented. Once the spring and summer arrives, we typically, at least I know I do, relish the hot weather and the sunshine. I'm a happy camper. But depending on the situation, working in the heat can be just as dangerous as working in the freezing temperatures if we don't understand how our bodies react under hot temperatures. So, Jasmine, my first question to you is, what is the risk for Ontarians if they're conducting work when we experience really hot temperatures? Yeah, so in Ontario, our summers are typically hot and dry, and we typically see our temperatures go in the high 20s. Uh, we get them in the 30s. So for those workers who are working outdoors, and especially the ones that are carrying a lot of physical work for long periods of time, uh, workers can face some uh, sort of heat-related illness or uh, heat stress. So heat stress is a response of uh, the human body where the body's core temperature rises. So when we look at our core uh, normal temperature, it usually ranges between 36 degrees to 38 degrees Celsius. And heat stress can occur when the body doesn't have enough water to cool itself down. And this could be due to the lack of water, we're not uh, replenishing our fluids, as well as the loss of sweat. And this can result in dehydration as well as um, resulting in our rising core temperature. Okay. Are there different types of heat, like heat stress disorders that somebody who's working in hot temperatures could experience? And if so, like what do some of those symptoms look like? Yeah. So for heat stress, uh, there are different types and I'll just go through them one by one. Uh, we'll start off with a heat rash and this is also known as like prickly heat. Uh, symptoms of, ha- of a worker having like a heat rash, this includes like red blotches on your skin or you get like extreme itchiness in areas that are persistently damp with sweat. Uh, the other type of like heat disorder, heat stress is heat cramps. So this is when you get spasms in the larger muscles in our body. So this can be like our back, our legs, and even our arms. So cramping would typically create like hard, painful lumps uh, within the muscles itself. Uh, Next, we have heat exhaustion. So this occurs when the body begins to send blood to the skin to reduce body temperature rather than supplying it to the vital organs. So symptoms uh, for someone that would be experiencing heat exhaustion, this would include like weakness, you'd get headaches, uh, breathlessness, and as well as nausea. Um, If you leave it untreated, heat exhaustion can lead to a heat stroke. And last up we have is a heat stroke. So this type of disorder can be fatal and immediate medical attention is needed. So heat stroke occurs when the body can no longer regulate its own temperature and it cannot uh, keep itself cool. So major signs of heat stroke, this includes like confusion, um, you won't be sweating, irrational behavior, as well as the loss of consciousness. Wow, okay, so heat rash, heat cramps, heat exhaustion, heat stroke, okay. So would a worker ever experience heat cramps 
before heat ex- exhaustion or heat stroke? Like, do you have to progress through the disorders as your condition wor- worsens, Jasmine? Or can you jump straight to a heat stroke before experiencing the symptoms of the other disorders? Yeah, so that can happen. So if a worker is experiencing, for example, like heat cramps, and if they continue working in those type of work conditions and the worker is not able to identify these signs or symptoms, this can lead on into uh, heat exhaustion. So this more so depends on the environment where it can even lead into heat stroke itself. So this pretty much highlights the importance to realize and just to be aware of the signs and symptoms of the various heat stress disorders we just discussed. Okay, so these these are serious, right? So especially when we get into heat exhaustion and heat stroke. So um, if something if something occurs and a worker is is suffering from a heat stroke or heat exhaustion, so addition to calling nine one one and getting emergency responders there uh, as fast as possible, what first aid should immediately be applied if a worker is experiencing either heat exhaustion or heat stroke, Jasmine? Yeah, so uh, we'll start off with the heat exhaustion. So for a worker that experiences this, um, after uh, medical attention is called for, um, by the time they get there, like the interim, um, you should move the individual who's experiencing heat exhaustion to a cooler area. Um, If they're wearing any tight clothing, you want to loosen them up or honestly just remove it. And you want to encourage the worker to drink cool water. Um, You can also spray or sponge like cool water onto the worker itself. Um, for a worker that is experiencing a heat stroke, um, after 911 is called, again, the main first aid would be to remove, again, any tight or excessive clothing they have on. And again, we want the worker to drink cool water. Uh, similarly, you want to make sure you're spraying uh, cool water or using like wet, cool sheets. Um, and so then you could cool down the worker itself. So this would be something that will be helpful interim um, before um, um, the medical professionals are on site. Okay. So in both cases, we're looking to get that individual that's being affected but to a cool area, loosen up the clothing, remove the clothing if necessary, and, and uh, get them cooled down. Okay. Um, you know, within the sector supported by IHSA, um, are there any tasks where you would consider it to be like at-risk or high-risk tasks that where workers could experience heat stress? Yeah, so there are a few where heat stress can occur. And it's also important to realize and understand that heat stress can also occur indoors as well as outdoors. We tend to usually focus on the outdoor aspect, but, um, but again, we want to consider the indoor as well. So in regards to outdoor tasks, exposures can occur um, for any work that's really Related to like road road building, uh, excavations, uh, roofing, anything in like residential or commercial home building, and any outdoor utility work, for example. And in regards to indoor tasks, again, exposure can occur for any work that's related to like foundries, if you're doing like interior renovations, uh, boiler rooms, working in the mills, um, anything along the lines of that. Yeah, thanks for that, Jasmine, because I, I was I had my mind completely focused on outdoor tasks as opposed to indoor tasks, but working in close 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 proximity to some of that equipment that generates a lot of heat can appreciate could cause the same sort of scenario, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's move on to maybe some tools for employers. Um, so what, what, what are some tools you could recommend for employers to determine heat stress? So there are a number of tools that are available that employers can use to um, look into the risk of heat stress in the workplace. Uh, one of the recommended methods um, for measuring heat stress is using the wet bulb globe temperature. In short, we just say WIBJIT. It's a method that closely relates um, the human's body's uh, 
corresponds to heat itself. So um, this measurement process, it takes it into account. Um, you're looking into air temperature, you're looking into the air movement, the radiant heat, as well as humidity. Um, we can get on the market direct reading Wibjet meters. Um, if you're ever looking, they are commercially available or um, they're also known as like heat stress indicators. So when you carry out these Wibjet measurements, these can be related to the physical demands of the job. So it's recommended that any qualified professionals perform these types of uh, measurements. So when I say qualified, um, this means individuals who have some experience, they understand and know how to carry out these uh, measurements as well as interpret results. Um, so this can be anybody in-house if they're trained on how to um, use this type of equipment. You can get private consultants that do this, you can reach out to consultants consultants from the local Occupational Health and Safety Associations as well. Okay, so that again is called the wet bulb globe temperature, and you referred to it as WIBJIT, which is, uh, I guess, the acronym WBGT for anybody that uh, wants to look it up. WBGT, wet bulb globe temperature. Okay. Um, you know, we get into July and August in Ontario, Jasmine, we keep hearing about Humidex. Right. So are there um, other tools an employer can utilize to um, to measure things like Humidex that, we're, you know, we're told over the news or, you know, in terms of, hey, watch out, it's going to be really humid today. The Humidex is X. Um, so they're turning our attention to that. What can an employer do in this regard? The simple terms, um, Humidex is a measure of how hot we feel. So it expresses the combined effects of like temperature as well as humidity um, and how this is perceived to us. So pretty much the outcome when you're doing a Humidex measurement, it provides a number and describes how hot we feel. So if I want to give you an example, that's we probably hear a little bit more in Ontario is how we use wind chill or the wind chill factor. Um, that would describe how cold people would feel. So Humidex ratings range from 25 and it goes upwards to 45 with 45 being extreme risk um, but this number needs to be calculated so there is a useful tool um, the occupational health clinics for Ontario workers and in short we call them OCAO uh, they have a humidex based heat stress calculator so all you need to do is if you know the temperature and you know the humidity um, you input that into the calculator itself and it would tell you what the Humidex is. So um, on that same website, there is a chart will, which will tell you this is what the Humidex is and this is what the risk is as well as the recommended control. So the reason why Humidex um, is not recommended for all scenarios, again, because it only factors in humidity. Whereas Wibjet, we get the factor of radiant heat, we look into the air movement itself. So it's good. It's a good tool for indoor places. Um, but again, we have to factor in, again, when there's no wind speed or there's no radiant heat, it's a good tool to use as well. All right. So some thanks and gratitude to our good friends at the Occupational Health Clinics of our, for Ontario Workers, as you said, the acronym being OCAO, who uh, is, uh, as um, our listeners may know, is one of six uh, designated health and safety associations in the province of Ontario. So we'll make sure we post those tools that um, Jasmine referred to that OCAO has on their website. We'll post that on this uh, on the podcast site. Um, 
Jasmine, what are what are some co- uh, controls employers can put into place to protect their workers from experiencing heat stress? So why don't we walk through the control piece? Because we've talked about measurement. Um, we've talked about why people should be tuned into this in terms of what the risks are. Now let's look at control. So what do you recommend in that regard? So there are a number of controls workplaces can consider implementing to protect workers from experiencing heat stress. And I'll just go over some examples, right? So um, one of the bigger things is educating workers of the signs and symptoms of the different types of heat stress disorders and this is what we discussed earlier on workers should be trained on how uh, know what to do uh, if they're experiencing a heat stress event or just know identify the symptoms and they should be able to identify it in themselves also just realize if their co-worker is experiencing uh, this type of event as well we also want to give workers time to acclimate to high temperatures so in simple terms um, acclimatization is a gradual process of how our bodies get used to heat. So it's like a heat tolerance. So this is something that doesn't happen in a few minutes. We need to give our bodies some time to adjust to working in the heat. And this can happen when we gradually increase our intensity or even the amount of time we spend working in the heat slowly. And this occurs over the course of a few days. As we do this gradually, it allows our bodies to adjust to working in the heat. And this process itself can take uh, six to seven days. Um, aside from that, um, some other controls is like introducing work rest schedules, um, providing workers with water stations and breaks, um, encouraging workers to drink at least one cup of water every half hour. Um, we don't want to eat any hot, heavy meals. Um, if there is any work that requires a lot of physical effort, maybe scheduling that a little earlier in the day when it's not so hot. Uh, reduce time in the sun pretty much during peak temperatures. Um, as well as provide any PPE to, that allows sweat to evaporate. So sometimes we see um, employers providing cooling vest or even like reflective clothing. And lastly, creating a heat stress plan. So employers should know what controls they can implement to protect their workers from high temperatures. Okay, Jasmine, all of those things make sense to me, but I'm, I'm curious about one, what you said, and I'm someone that doesn't like to miss meals. So I'm curious on avoiding eating heavy meals. Why would we, why would we provide that recommendation to employers and workers? Yeah. So when someone's eating hot and heavy meals itself, again, it puts our body to work, right? We want to avoid putting all that energy and focusing on digesting that type of meal itself. So again, we want to reduce the effort that is required to our body. So if you're eating heavy meals itself and working outside, carrying out physical work uh, during high temperatures, it doesn't contribute to the cause itself. Okay. So we want to get away from that. The body's engine has to work harder to digest all that heavy, that the heavy food that somebody ingested, and that in itself can potentially raise the body's temperature as well, contributing to the problem. Is that fair? Yes. Yep, that's fair. Okay. All right. I Good stuff. Thank you for that. Um, all right. So are you, are you able to comment on heat stress in terms of um, our, like, are we going to be dealing with this every year as best? I mean, this is something every summer in Ontario, for the most part, employers should be tuned into. Yeah. So we're seeing it in Canada as well as across the world. There's been an increase in heat waves and we're getting the rising temperatures as well. So it's good for employers to be aware as well as to be prepared in protecting workers for any uh, potential deadly consequences of heat stress. 
All right. So, and I know IHSA has a wealth of information uh, that can uh, employers and workers can leverage uh, on the IHSA website. Can you can you just go through some of that for us, uh, Jasmine? Yeah, for sure. So we do have a variety of resources for heat stress. Uh, you can always visit our heat stress topic page on IHSA.ca, and it does have a FAQ section. Um, some examples that we do have for resources: we have a safety talk on heat stress. We have a chapter in the construction health and safety manual discussing this topic. Um, we have posters if you want to put it up in the workplace um, highlighting the hazards of heat stress, a brochure um, uh, targeted at roofers, as well as a health and safety advisory going between talking about heat stress and like type 3 asbestos removal, for example. But if there are any uh, specific questions to re heat stress, you're always more than welcome to reach out to me directly at jcolsey at ihsa.ca. Okay, can you say that email address one more time and maybe just spell it out if you would? Sure, yeah. So it's jcolsey at ihsa.ca. .ca is J-K-A-L-S-I at I-H-S-A.ca. All right. Amazing. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for all this information, Jasmine. Um, this is this is important, right? So uh, we as Canadians, we as Ontarians love to celebrate the summer. We go through a harsh winter and we look forward to those warm, hot, sunny days. But we also have to be mindful that they can be detrimental to health and safety. And we need to be guarded against it and make sure that we're uh, identifying the uh, the symptoms and so you're aware of the workers are aware that this is happening and then making sure that we're addressing it and, and most importantly putting controls in place so we don't get to that situation in the first place right yes yeah perfect all right thank you so much jasmine as always it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast and thank you very much to the listeners to listening to the ihsa safety podcast be sure to subscribe and like us on your podcast channel and visit us at IHSA.ca for a wealth of health and safety resources and information. The IHSA Safety Podcast. For more episodes, tips, and all things safety, go to IHSASafetyPodcast.ca. Thanks for listening. Each year, about 5,000 IHSA supervisor logbooks are ordered for supervisors across Ontario. Why is the logbook so popular? Because it was developed by the industry for the industry. That's what makes it unique. IHSA thanks the members of the Labor Management Network and Advisory Councils who contributed their knowledge, experience, and time to the preparation of this supervisor logbook. Contact IHSA at 1-800-263-5024. That's 1-800-263-5024. Or visit ihsa.ca. That's ihsa.ca.